Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you too. We are in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. And in a moment, we will stand and read verses 12 through 16. Hopefully we'll get the whole chapter in this morning. As a reminder, especially to our youth... If you have a hard time following along verse-by-verse teachings, it really will help you if you read that section we're going to be in before you get to church. And most of the time you know where I'm going to be. I just don't know. So if you find out, let me know where I am. (laughs) Anyway, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 2, we're going to take verses 12 through 16. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law... (laughs) are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts, accusing or else excusing, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Please be seated. Well, do a word cloud on that one, and law pops up a lot, which is an indicator that he's speaking to Jews. He's speaking of the Mosaic law. And uh, But he's applying it to anyone who it applies to, which would be anyone who is old enough to understand uh, the language. Now, the key verse there is verse 16 in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There is no escaping that Christ is the standard whether you've heard him or not, we're going to open this up a little bit, hopefully this morning. And the title of this, message, this morning's message is God's Fairness. The unbelievers like accusing God of being unfair, unjust in his methods. Well, in these two chapters that we've been covering, Romans 1 and 2, Paul sets up mankind for a need, and that is the Savior. He's, he's building his case Uh, using that device, the hypophora method of asking the question, then answering the question. And he has already shown, and will show in this chapter, those who are decadent, those who are hypocritical, the Jew with the Bible, and then those who are decent people without the Bible. That's what he's talking about. They're all guilty before God. And he's answering objections. Those Romans, the Christian Romans, or the Romans in, the Christians in Rome, they're going to benefit from him opening these things up because these are the things they had to deal with. And we do too in some form. God is going to judge those who carelessly engage in sin. He's, he's already covered that in, chapter, in verses 18 of chapter 1 through 32. And then he began with the hypocrites in the second chapter. So the depraved, they scoff at these things, reminding us that they're depraved. Because that's who would scoff at the righteous things of Scripture. What is in the Ten Commandments for somebody to object to? Don't steal? 
Don't murder? Well, these are the things we have to battle because man is ingenious at trying to rationalize their sin before a holy God. It doesn't work, though. So Paul clearly states that all are guilty before God. And I go back to Deuteronomy when Moses, that one of the greatest of them all, you know, all the things the prophets did, Daniel, Jeremiah, Paul, who led a nation out into the wilderness and not only survived but began building the Bible? I mean, the work of Moses phenomenal. Well, I digress. Deuteronomy, where he is now going over everything that they've been given by God, it's the second account of the law. Not a new law, but he's reviewing it. That's Deuteronomy, a magnificent book. He says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you. You're talking to the people called out of Egypt. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. That both you and your descendants may live. Who would object to anything there? I would choose life. And all of you who are born again, you have chosen life. That's what he's talking about. When he talks about choosing life, he's not, they're already born. He's talking about life, obedient, subject to the creator of Genesis chapter 1 and all that we have. It would be a good assignment to read Deuteronomy 30, that last paragraph, 11 through 20. But anyway... Back to Romans, this letter equipping the Christians in Rome to better learn their Christianity in the face of the objections so that they can be more useful to God. That's what a servant's supposed to be. A servant is supposed to be useful. When the visitors came and visited Abraham, it was a, a, the, a Christophany, Christ in the flesh, and the two angels were with him. And Moses, uh, Abraham, Abraham served them and he stood by the tree. He was on call. He was ready for anything they need. I need more water. I'd like a napkin. Where's the restroom? He was there. Now, of course, I've modernized it a little bit. But the idea is, if you want to be a servant, the idea is to be youth, useful. And if you're going to be useful, you're going to have to take hits. Your feelings have to get hurt. That's just the way it is, living in a world that's under the curse. But that's also where the work gets done. And they had to learn these things. Now, Romans, this letter, was written oh, about two years before Paul goes to, back to Jerusalem and gets arrested. And that's important to understand why he was hated so much by the Jewish people. Not all the Jewish people, but those under the influence of rabbinical teachings versus scriptural teachings. They're not the same thing always. Well, they conspired to arrest him at the temple and then later murder him because this letter had already been circulated. And he preached Jesus Christ of Nazareth as the Messiah, the chosen one of Yahweh. And then he exposed their hypocrisy. And they hated him for it. Well, that's true to this day. If you expose the hypocrisy of mainstream media and you have a platform where you're reaching people, they're going to try to kill your character if they can't kill you. This is sin at work. And we're not to be so shocked by it that we're caught flat-footed. We are to be ahead of the game. When we engage lost souls, we're not supposed to be you know, two steps behind them. We're supposed to be eternally ahead of them. Sounds like good preaching to me. All right, first joke of the morning. I've got others. They'll be released as we move forward. Anyway, in this section, God is telling humanity that they are accountable 
that there are those who that, that have the scripture and there are those that don't. And both will be judged, and it will be a fair judgment. So now we look at verse 12. We've got a long way to go. For as many as have sinned without law also will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Not a complicated section. If you understand, all the, the, the sections of the Bible that appear to be complex, you have to look for the key. The key here is that everybody's a sinner. And once you get that, okay, you're on a solid foundation to move forward. Ecclesiastes 7, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. And he's saying, I don't care how good you are, you're still a sinner, and you still sin. And if you say, no, that's not true, then you just lied, and you're sinning. So we got you either way. And uh, those without the Bible, verses 12 through 16 this morning. And then those with the Bible, verses 17 through 29. This is um, a reminder that sin existed before the Mosaic Law. Of course. It was so bad sin was that Noah was in only, and eight others were the only ones that survived the judgment. Essentially, you know, conviction is, God, I got you. And if you don't tap out, you're going to suffer. The, the, the difference is, there's not going to be an end to the suffering. And this is what makes the gospel vital. Otherwise, we could just sort of dismiss it, but we can't. Consequences are too great. And Paul's giving solutions. Insufficiency. Not insufficient, but they are sufficient. The solutions. He has given, giving in this Roman letter, he talks about sin, he talks about salvation, he talks about faith. And that's, as we examine the letter, he unfolds this. Without a Savior, guilt remains on you. The story of mankind. Non-Jews, non-Christians alike. And, and you know, you've got to have a Savior. And he continues here in verse 12. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So we'll get back to those for as many as have sinned without law. We'll get back to them. But now he turns his attention uh, to the Jews, as many as have sinned in the law, the law of Moses. They have the scripture. More is expected of them because of that. Same with us. We have Bibles, and more is expected of us. I think it's one of the reasons why it makes serving in the church difficult is because we expect we don't expect so much of the junk we get from Christians. And when we do get it, it it's, it's a heavier hit. When you get it from an unbeliever, well, he's lost, he doesn't follow the Lord. But when a Christian is mean and vicious, stabs you in the back or something like that, there's an element of bewilderment there. But, uh, you know, ministry goes on. Now, verse 13 begins a parenthesis. And a parenthesis is not, well, this is unimportant, but I put it in. That's not what parenthesis is in Scripture. In Scripture, parenthesis is, this is vital to explaining where I'm going. And so verses 13 through 15 are an explanation of what he just said in verse 12. So, God's judgment takes into account a person's advantages, their disadvantages, and their behavior. And those who have a Bible have far more light than those without and are held to a higher standard. 
And if you've been, you know, raised, in, uh, as many of the these Jews, you know, they were raised with the Scripture. They knew who Isaiah was and Daniel and Moses. They knew it. And they were supposed to share the, these things with the Gentiles because it led to who God is, the God of all mankind. So the possession of a Bible drastically increases accountability. Now, who would say no? Well, maybe an unbeliever. The Bible is a life book more than a rule book. Well, there are rules in it. There has to be. Physics are rules of creation. But Scripture, the moral rules, the rules that have to do with our God and that there is no other, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the standard by which people will be judged. So evidence of God's presence in the soul that you are born again, shows up in the actions of your life. How you treat others. Turn the other cheek. Remember that when you drive home today. <laughs> Remember when, when all those, because everybody else can't drive. I'm convinced. And they're all saying the same thing about me. But uh, remember that when someone does you wrong on the road to turn the other cheek. Uh, I, I'm telling you this because I was in my devotions and I got convicted by this whole section on loving enemies thing. Second joke this morning, a little early, you'll get there. Second Corinthians chapter 3, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Get what God is saying, not just what's written. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's not dismissing what's written in the letter. Without the written word, we wouldn't know what the Spirit of, of the Lord required of us. They go together. But if you sever understanding, reason, and thinking through the Scripture, if you sever that from what's written, you're going to be trouble, and you're going to be in trouble. Uh, that's when God says, and you never forget it once you've read it once, come, let us reason. Though your sins are red as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. How can any sinner ever forget that? God's saying, come, let's reason. He doesn't say, oh, let's just here. Everywhere else, we'll just, we don't have to reason. Well, verse 14, continuing in the parentheses, again, look briefly at verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law, without law, will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Now he's saying, no, let me get... What I'm, what I'm telling you here, people without a Bible still have a sense of right and wrong towards others. doesn't mean they follow it, but they got it. Man is born with eternity in his heart. There are the, 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 all the codes are there. He's not missing uh, the necessary faculty in, in most cases. The, a human being can reason, which really separates us from the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom is dominant with them. It's instinct. But the human reasons through things. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a chicken's not going to write a poem. It's just not going to happen. Uh, unless, unless you go to the one of the universities and you identify with being a chicken. Maybe then. Anyway, um, a world without a Bible increases Satan's advantages to sway the world over humanity, and the suffering is in, it's just too much to, to, to bear. We know what the world did before there was a Bible. Look again, post-flood Noah, what, what was happening there? 
the, the world was so bad, God had to, to wipe it out. Uh, and, and that he did. Anywhere, the, anyway, back to the, the, the vitality of Scripture. People, there are people in Islamic countries that want out of Islam. But they're not allowed to get out. And there are enough of them, so many of them, through history, that they even wrote a law, a violent law. If you try to get out, we're going to kill you. If your kids try to get out, and there's various degrees of that. And my point is, there are people in other parts of the world who have not heard the gospel, but they know there's something better. This may have been the case with Abraham in Mesopotamia. When he lived there amongst, uh, you know, the, the idols, and God said, get away from your family. And uh, because they, they were idol, you know, infested with idols. And God called on Abraham. And so, you know, just to bulldoze people into hell, you didn't hear the gospel, you're going to hell. That, that's not what the Bible teaches. What do you do with someone? Just to say, let's pick a country that's quite remote, like Yemen, an Islamic country, a third world country. Uh, what are the chances of someone there hearing the gospel? In fact, let's elevate that. What are the chances of a soul who's born with extreme autism when they die? What's God going to do with them? God knows what he's doing. He's going to do right. And he is a God of love and he is a God of mercy. And we better not mess with those things. But I think some Christians resent this. Well, he's going to hell. <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I don't see it that way, and I don't think the Scriptures see it that way either. And this is some of what Paul is dealing with. Knowing he's got a Jewish audience in front of him, knowing he's got a Gentile audience, knowing that the Gentiles are influenced by the Jews, and the Jews are struggling to tolerate the Gentiles. He knows there's a lot of racism flying around the, the church, and he's trying to protect it, and he's injecting this divine wisdom and reason from the Holy Spirit. And so when he says about when Gentiles who don't have the Scripture, by nature do the things in the Scripture. See, law, I'm using Scripture, an interpretive rendering, because that's what he's talking about. The moral law of conscience also exists in addition to the written code in Scripture. Uh, so this begins to cancel out that objection unbelievers give. God's not fair. Just, you know, if you haven't heard the gospel, you're going to hell. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there are those people that have not heard Scripture. And they can still, they can't find Christ. They can't just drift into Christianity. For that, they need someone to bring the gospel. But they have a sense of morality. And this is not a difficult thing to prove. Uh... So, they're without Moses' ceremonial laws and civil laws, but they have moral law. And those who never truly heard the gospel will be judged according to their conscience. This is not an advantage. It's still a need for Christ. But let me put it, I guess, this way, a little bit ahead of myself. Um, a person knows right and wrong by the standard of what they would not want done to them. I don't want someone stealing from me. So I automatically know it's not right to steal from them. I don't want someone to try to kill me. I do not want someone uh, to lie to me. 
So we have, the, whether with the scripture or not, these are the basics of morality, of, of human behavior amongst other people. And uh, there is a hell for wicked people who have not heard the gospel, and there is a hope for those who also have not heard the gospel. Uh, again, this seems to bother some professed Christians that resent my saying, uh, we are accountable to God, every person. But there are those that have never heard the gospel that are not automatically doomed. That's what he is saying here. And I don't know how you could, how you could say that's not true. Or tell me, take me to another verse. So even Jesus, and I won't use the cross-references into John uh, verbatim, but Jesus said, you know, you have the light, now your sin is on you. Because you've been told the gospel. This helps us deal with people who want to charge God with not being fair. It's not fair that I never heard the gospel and I have to go to hell. Well, that's because your, your theology is wrong and there's more to it. But now that I'm here in front of you, I've taken away that option and now you're going to get the gospel. So a sense of right and wrong, again, example, the sanctity of life, demonstrates that there are moral laws. I'll give you another example from Scripture. Remember when Solomon was faced with the two mothers the one rolled over on her baby and accidentally killed the child and stole the other lady's baby and claimed it as her own. This, how was it resolved? Well, they took a DNA test. <laughs> they did not. The, 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 okay, so Solomon settles it. He finds out who the real mother was. But what comes out of the story is that there is a vicious lady in the village and I don't think Solomon passed judgment on her. When it was all said and done, the lady who got her child back still had to go live in that neighborhood with that person. And you can't tell me that, oh, you know, uh, what I was trying to do is somehow okay by having that baby killed. Because Solomon said, okay, uh, uh, cut the baby in half. And, of course, he extracted this confession. And the real mom came forward and said, don't harm the baby. Let her have him. And Solomon said, well, that's the mom. Give her the baby. But the other lady was adamant. Kill the child. And what the scripture is teaching us, there are messed up people. There are. And you may not have them in your neighborhood, but they're out there somewhere. And with the Internet, we're getting to see a lot of them. Uh, so, uh, you know, what, is, what does God do with these things? Well, he's telling us here. He's telling, I will judge the wicked. And those who have a sense of morality that are decent, I'm going to judge them too. But I'm also telling you that nobody gets into heaven without the death of my son on the cross. That, makes, that, that, that opens the door for any sense of toleration. Because God does not owe us forgiveness. It is a gift to humanity that... All humanity is redeemed, but not saved. The price is paid. The redemption is done. But if you don't come get it, then you don't benefit from it. And so don't go blaming God. Oh, I don't have a chance. Oh, you have a chance. He died for the world. And, but if you do not redeem it, that was easily, if you win lotto, call me. <laughs> That's my point. Let's close in prayer.
If you win lotto and you don't go down and claim it, you don't get it. So we understand this principle. And it's the same with the gospel. Every man everywhere knows that these things are wrong. Lying, stealing, murder, including the subgroups, cheating, seduction, and violence. We know those things are wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting peace. And we know there's something wrong with taking someone else's peace away from them just because we want something to enrich ourselves. So man cannot plead innocence or ignorance enough before a holy God with any honest expectation of him approving such behavior and thus the need for mercy and grace. No matter what, all still need the Savior. 1 Timothy 4 For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men. Then he continues, especially those who believe. Because those are the ones that have redeemed it. They've come and they've received it. The others have not. Verse 15. Well, let me pause it. What's unfair about any of that? What is unfair about a sovereign, holy God making terms that can be achieved. What is wrong with God saying, choose life or not? It's up to you. Well, verse 15, the parentheses continues to, to talk about verse 12. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So Paul is saying, I've met people, they're good people. They have not had scripture, but they're good people. Now, he's not going any further with, you know, what happened after he begins to preach to them. He's making points about the guilt of man and the fairness of God. And, uh, uh, you know, some of the Jews were saying, no matter how good you are, you're going to hell because you're a Gentile. You have to get circumcised. You have to honor the Sabbath. You don't do those. No matter how good you are, you're going to hell. However, because I am a Jew... And I do honor the Sabbath, and I have honored the circumcision. No matter what I do, I'm going to heaven. That's the kind of mentality in some of the people he had to put up with. Look at Caiaphas. I mean, they were doing evil so they could kill Christ. They were breaking the law. They were committing crime. They were lying. They were looking for witnesses that didn't exist. So their mindset, of the mindset of some of the Jews, many of them, was foul through and through. And Paul knew those boys. He was going to hell with them. And God saved him. So he says their conscience also bearing witness. Enough knowledge of right and wrong to act. Or not. And so he says in verse 15, that God judges the nations for the way they treat each other, the people in the nations. Conscience must be influenced. It's not enough to be bothered by something wrong. Uh, because conscience can be corrupted, it can be damaged, it, it, shaping is critical. Paul said to Timothy about some who speak lies and hypocrisy. They knew they were lying, but they did it anyway. And then he says, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Their conscience was corrupted, it was defective. They were immune to truth, because they wanted to be. Do we have to point to modern day Examples, when I say modern day, within the last hundred years, what about Joseph Stalin? You don't get more evil than that. Hitler, Himmler, and Hamas. Uh, this is incarnate evil. 
And again, why do they excuse their behavior? Because they're immune to truth. When you come to the scripture, you don't take your theology to understand the Bible. Your understanding of the Bible is to shape your theology. And if you come there with your mind made up, that this is what I've learned, then you're not listening. But if you come, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And uh, I think a lot of folks lose sight of this. Man is totally depraved, but he's not depraved to the point where he cannot choose life. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's why I started off reading from Deuteronomy, Ecclesiastes 3. He has put eternity in their hearts. There's this thing in all of us, if we have receptors to receive what God puts in front of us or not. And that's how it was in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Don't touch the tree. God reasoned with them. He didn't, we have no record of him reasoning with any of the animals. He said, don't touch that tree. You eat from any of these other ones. But no, <laughs> no. Uh, Eve should not have even been near that thing. I would have cut that tree down. I would have cut it down and burned it. Okay, I don't. I probably would have taken. The, I would have taken the fruit because another. That's another sermon. You would have too. It's not just like yeah. I, I figured you'd take it. No, we'd all take it. That's the whole point. Human will has to be faced with a serious choice. Uh, anyway, we end the parentheses of between uh, verses 13 and 15 for verse 12. And now verse 16, if we should read 16, I don't want to read 12 again because we're going to be saying the word law 20 more times. So just verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. He is the inescapable standard. Of course, here's the line. I'm a good guy. I'm going to go to heaven. What do you base that off of? What makes you say you're a good guy? Well, I didn't steal. I didn't murder. I didn't cheat. Yeah, but that's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. Did you commit any sin ever? Of course, everybody has to say. If you've ever felt guilt, if you've ever been sorry for something, the way you've treated somebody, uh, those things have disqualifying elements about them. Christ never had to apologize. I mean, you know, he's the standard, and that's what we're being told here. Acts chapter 17. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Christ is the standard. So the guy that says, well, I'm not as bad as the people in jail. Yeah, well, they're not the standard. And neither is anybody better than you. Only Christ could die for sinners because only he was good enough. Uh, there's more to the story than just that he was good enough. Because who he is, in essence, he is God the Son, the Son of God. Philippians, we know this one and we love it. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Everyone will. He is God Almighty. Second Corinthians 5, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing that God will. He's not lying when he says, you know, there's a hell waiting for people who reject me. The final test of the soul is to be 
that of a man's attitude towards the Savior. How God works out those little gray zones, that's his prerogative. I go by what he has revealed in the scripture. I am told to preach the gospel wherever the door opens by the Holy Spirit. That is my responsibility. Uh, you know, there's a military expression, at least when I was in, you know, kill him and eat him, let God sort him out. Now, that's not Christian. But it does convey this idea that there is brutality in this world. And it's not intentional. They're not saying, hey, let's make a theological statement with this. I'm making the theological statement on the human uh, perspective. There's violence, there's evil in this world, and God is going to sort it out. And because we know who he is, we're good. He's going to do it right. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, that is one of the most profound statements known to man. Verse 17, indeed, now he switches. He's, he has addressed those without a Bible, that they have enough morality in them for God to hold them accountable. Now he comes to the people with Bibles, and he's, God, he's saying God's going to hold them accountable too. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, verse 18, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, verse 19, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, verse 20, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. And later he'll write to Timothy, they have a form of knowledge. I just forgot the verse. Maybe, um, maybe I can distract you to act like I didn't forget the verse. In front of, They have a form of knowledge. Okay, forget it. It's not there. I'll, I'll get it uh, maybe in the sermon, but you, I think you know where I'm going with that. I'm to totally blank on it. Anyway, but I still know my name, so that's just my check, you know. Okay, I, I know who I am. Here's my phone number. All right, verse 20, uh, uh, it was where we just finished reading. So he, he returns, he is ad addressing a Jewish mindset. Not all Jews thought this way, but a lot of them did. And it is an equally erroneous behavior. It's also found in Gentiles, but he's singling out the Jews. And he has to do this because, again, there were Gentiles in the church that were looking up to the Jews because they were the ones that had the scripture. When the Gentiles came in, they heard the gospel, and then the, the, the Jew would say, uh, Christ is the Messiah, and here is written in our prophets, and here's, Messiah, here's Isaiah's account. The Gentiles would say, well, who's Isaiah? You'd have to ask a Jew that. And the, the Jew would tell him. And this was part of the church becoming what she is today. So uh, Paul needs to, to make a level playing field in front of everybody. And that's what he is, is attempting and succeeding at, I think, in doing. So uh, this is a widespread behavior of uh, moral superiority based, based on ethnicity that some of the Jews were pulling. And so he's bringing it up. Uh, unlike Gentiles, the Jews had the true story of religion and truth from their birth. They were raised with spiritual privilege. And um, I want to go back to something I said last Sunday. I mentioned a pastor's children and how that's a, it's, it's a unique um, 
challenge put on them. When they're still children, they don't know how to deal with the things. You know, if, the, if it's an adult, he knows he's got defense or she has defense mechanisms. But as a child, they're just trying to frolic along with everybody else, and then people got them under this magnifying glass. But I want to add, especially for those who will be listening on radio whenever this message makes its way there, if you are a pastor's child, you have been on purpose born into a house of a pastor. It is an ordained position from that perspective. God knew you were going to be a pastor's child. Now, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to abuse it? Are you going to neglect it? Are you going to grab hold of it? I would encourage you to grab hold of it and uh, say, yeah, God put me in this house as he did. You know, he put Aaron in the house of the priests and his sons and Phineas was born into the house of the priesthood. And what they did with it was up to them. And this is true of those who are not pastor's children. If you're born into a Christian home, what a privilege. What are you going to do with it? Now, some figure it out quite kind of early. Some may take some decades. But it is not something we should dismiss. It's something we should keep up front. We have the high privilege of having Scripture and having a relationship, not only with the Christ of the Scripture, but His people. What are we going to do with it? Back to the servant. Servant is supposed to be useful. And you, your usefulness diminishes with ignorance. But, uh, well, well, the other way around. Your, your usefulness diminishes with ignorance. That's right. Even my errors are correct. <laughs> but if, if you really want to serve, then you want to squeeze out of your Christianity everything you can get. And that takes work and patience. It takes love. It, it takes pain. Uh, and the pain will come, at least in my Christian walk, from two sources. One you won't be surprised at. It comes from people. All right, I get that. I'm probably doing the same thing others, I'm sure. But the other one comes from God. God withholds things that are important to me, as he does you. And we have to learn to live with that. God takes away loved ones. We have to deal with that. That's not the whole, you know, there's more to our story than whatever we're facing in life. And the more to our story is the usefulness to our Savior. Um, I, I don't know what Christian would say. No, I don't agree with that. <laughs> uh, I like my carnality. I think this life is all we have. Of course, that's the worldling speaking. Anyway, the Jews raise with privilege. And that increases responsibility and influence and blessings. Um, Paul wants to ensure everyone that the, the understanding sin and the consequences is very important. And that it is insane to acknowledge that there is a God, and then to go on to live without any fear of what displeases that God. Can you imagine somebody, well, I believe there's a God. Yeah, well, what is he like? Does he, maybe he doesn't like right-handed people. I mean, how do you know what he likes and doesn't like? What are you going to do about it when you find out? I mean, if I found out God didn't like right-handed people, I'd be doing a lot of work with my left hand. <laughs> so I'd do something about that. But we have a whole planet of people like this. Uh, I believe in God. Which one? One made up or one who made? 
Uh, and when you start digging into this, you, you find you, you, you look for as an unbroken witness. Where did you hear about your God? What do you have to back it up? You got any prophecy? Any spiritual features? Anything we can verify? Uh, every religion, religion of the world has got nothing. False religion. Every false religion has got nothing but word of mouth. And so we have so much more. That's why Peter said we have the more sure word of prophecy. May we learn to use it. Don't be intimidated and don't be, uh, don't deny. We're not born with knowledge of the Bible. We have to work for that. So don't be so surprised when you realize, you know what, I'm not as smart as I thought I was in Christ. You start meeting other people that know the Bible more than you. And that has never happened to me, but I'm sure you have that. <laughs> you, don't be intimidated. It's not God saying, you big dummy. It's God saying, oh, so you just got work to do. That's all. It's not a competition. Just know me. Know the scripture. Hang in there. Keep moving forward. There's always going to be someone better than you. It's really hard for me to admit that. So I want to make a joke and say, so I'm told. The flesh does not want to be in second place ever. Even when it acts a good game and it lost, it's like... <laughs> Some of that is useful. Anyhow, I've really gone elsewhere. Coming back to verse 21 now. You therefore who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Verse 23. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? So this is the hypophora device of rhetoric that he's using. Ask the question. Get the person thinking. Uh, highlight the absurdities. And then begin to deal with it. Uh, and he does this again, the question-answer format of Romans. So he's not singling out an individual. He's saying, hey, let's talk about some people who do this kind of stuff so we can get to the bottom of the matter. Uh, I like that he says, um, you who abhor idols. Well, he knows he's talking to Jews. He, he, he's, and uh, do you rob temples? He didn't say, you who abhor idols, do you pray to idols? You would think that would be consistent with the question. But he knows the Jews, these Jews at this time in history, they're not going to pray to idols, but they might steal them <laughs> and cash in on them. So uh, it's just very, very down to earth, very human, very smart of Paul. Integrity is now the concern. So if you're raised in a Christian home and your parents do something that is beneath that standard of Christianity they're teaching you, you do not have the right to throw Christ out the window because mom and dad may have goofed somewhere. You still are accountable to Christ yourself. Don't try to play that, well, see, it's all a joke, you're all hypocrites. It ain't going to work. It won't serve you well. Uh, but integrity is the issue for all of us. Commandments of God are not abstract. They're concrete. You shall not murder. It's as clear as a bell. If you're going to make the, do the talk, then do the walk. And it's going to be a struggle. We're going to fall sometimes. But once you get rid of conscience, integrity fails, and sin becomes very easy after that. May that not be the way we do business as Christians in our own lives. Integrity is, here's integrity. 
you want to drive across a bridge, but a, a shipping barge has just smashed into one of the pillars of that bridge. Now, that challenges the integrity of the bridge. It might not now be strong enough to support the weight of you crossing over. So we understand integrity is pretty important, whether it's with truth or structure. Uh, we, not, we have to uphold these things because they are right. Verse 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Now, before we get to his quote from Isaiah, he makes the point. Now, the Gentiles are still going to be guilty on another level if that's all they got. But he's saying you're helping the enemy. Sinful behavior brings no glory to God. Whether you are a synagogue goer or a church goer. And you're making it easy for Satan with blatant sin. There are a lot of people looking for reality in religion. And they know when it's not there. They can see the integrity is not there. And they may not use that word, but they, they write it off. And they feel justified that now I don't have to follow Christ because look what these Christians are doing. This is the case with David when he had sinned. And the prophet Nathan confronted him and said, By this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of Yahweh to blaspheme. David is hard enough to preach the truth of God to sinners who by nature don't want to hear it. And then you come along as the writer of Psalms and you mess it all up. What happened after that? David had power to say, slay that man. But David was already smitten. David owned his sin. Then what happened? God used him to write some of the Bible again. Is that not phenomenal mercy and grace? Is that not phenomenal? Before we go pointing out fingers at everybody else, we look for God is a God who looks for a solution. And so he wrote Psalm 51, for example, Psalm 34. But Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That was born out of a sin wreck. And not an endorsement, but it is a fact. Our God is awesome in the fullest meaning of that word. And those who suppose Christians fall somehow, excuses them from judgment, are spiritually delusional. If you think because a Christian messed up that now you can reject Christ, that gives you grounds to reject other. <clears throat> that was something I want to do in front of everybody. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> if you think that because a Christian messes up, you now have grounds to reject truth the truth of God, you are spiritually delusional. And this goes back to the one that says, I believe in God, but I don't care what he thinks. There's, there's something tragic about all of that. Verse 25, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. Now, I want to interpret that word circumcision as we go through, because it's foreign to us in many ways. 
If you replace the word circumcision with the word separated, which the circumcision was an emblem of, separation from the world to Yahweh, then maybe it'd help us understand the, the culture and what is taking place. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that liberty without doing any violence to the meaning of, of the scripture. Uh, because he's talking to the Jews. They get it. The Gentiles might be, huh, what? I don't even like this. Um, for separation is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your separation has become unseparation. Therefore, if an unseparated man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his unseparation be counted as separation to God? Verse 27, And will not the physically unseparated, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code of separation are a transgressor of the law? Now, when I, I did a word cloud on this one this morning, and, and what are the two words that dominated the picture? Law and circumcision. And they are all a part of our historic faith. And so he is saying to the Jews, you're saying you're a Jew because of your right of circumcision. That is your emblem of separation to God from the world. But what does it count if you trample the meaning of that separation? And what about the person that does what you're supposed to do but doesn't have your Bible. You see the fairness of God he's bringing into play here. He's convicting the guilty Jews and he's giving hope to a world of Gentiles. Jewish circumcision was a mark of that nation's separation to God. And when they did not separate to him, they were a half-baked cake. Hosea chapter 7. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is an unturned cake. That's what he's talking about. They're supposed to be properly baked, but they're half, they're half baked. You've heard of half baked ideas? Well, there's a half baked religion, and it voids out the meaning of the symbol. They saw circumcision as an exemption rather than a pledge, and that's what it was supposed to be. I pledge allegiance to God, I'm going to serve Him and not idols. And uh, when they trampled it, um, there's no surprise that God called them out on it, and that's what Paul is doing. So this idea that outward religious practices can please God while we continue to offend him at the same time is, is uh, quite silly. And we have to speed up here. Uh, so obedience and rhythm to God over Ethnicity and ritual, because that's what the Jews were throwing in, some of the Jews were throwing in the faces of, of the Gentiles, that they were ethnically um, sure of salvation, and the Gentiles were ethnically doomed unless they became Jews. So Paul will later write to the Colossians, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Your religious rights are secondary to obedience. So, doing what ritual stands for counts more than the ritual. Verse 28, uh, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. Verse 29, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, 
And circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Man, that, you see why they hated him so much when he got to Jerusalem? They knew he was saying these kind of things. They were probably quoting them out of context and all, but it doesn't matter. He's calling them out. He was saying, I was once rolling with you boys, and I'm not anymore. I've got now the integrity and the truth. Jesus said, you people, not of all of them. Got to, this is not anti-Semitic. We're dealing with sinners, regardless of their ethnicity. We just happen to be focusing on a particular uh, habitual sin in a particular culture. These people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. It doesn't count if you just have the ritual, but the very thing the ritual stands for is discarded. It doesn't count. God had to teach Samuel that the heart counts more. That great man of God, Samuel, you're not going to top Samuel in Scripture. And yet he didn't understand. So what does God say when, when he was sent to pick a king over Saul? And he saw the sons of Jesse. He says, surely this is the one. And, and God said, Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For Yahweh does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks at the heart. It's the spirit. It's what is really going on. And not playing games with God. It doesn't diminish the scripture. It elevates it. What diminishes the scripture is when you play these games and become the hypocrite in front of everybody. The kingly qualities were in David. They were inside of him. And God would conquer his sin. And right now, David is in heaven and he's not sinning anymore. Sin has been vanquished. He says, and circumcision is that of the heart. This emphasizes loyalty to God. Um, we're out of time. Because, of, because you've got places to go, you're going to miss out. I hope you can live with yourselves. <laughs> we'll close with this verse that I've repeated already. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Bible is more than a book of rules and codes. It is life. Christianity is more than a religion. It is life. It is life eternal. Let's pray. Our Father, there are those that um, may be listening, may be here, have not, heard the, have not received you, have heard the gospel, but have not received you. But perhaps this morning, as the scriptures have been read, your Holy Spirit has been drawing them to get right with you. It would be Satan who would vote for a pastor not inviting people to come to Christ. But it would be the Holy Spirit of God who would encourage a pastor to give, at every chance he has, an opportunity for a sinner to come to a holy God and have their sin dealt with. If you would like to be in heaven on that day when you die and you will die one day then you've got to come to Christ on his terms if you make this confession of faith Christ will receive you 
You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws. I have violated your will. I don't deserve salvation, but I want it. And you're the only one that has it. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you that from this day forward, you would be not only the one who saves my soul from a just judgment, but also the one who rules over my life right now. I give you my life right here, and I ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. And now, Father, if anybody has made this prayer this morning, may they be unashamed when the invitation is given to share it with one of the pastors. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.